Bibles with you and want to take a moment to invite you to turn to our scripture for today. It's in the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. And I'll read those. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along if you have your Bible app or your Bible open. And Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. A word of the Lord for each of us on this day. Let me tell you a story. When I was 13 years old, my mom and stepdad bought a house. It was an old house up in the upstate of South Carolina in a town called Anderson. And if you're a um, familiar with South Carolina, this is in the upper northwestern quadrant of the state, just maybe a half hour below Clemson. And it was in the middle of eighth grade in the dark of January winter when we moved. So if you've ever moved, it's hard enough moving. And our family just moved here to Chesterfield this summer. But if, you, or if you're a middle schooler and you, you move in the middle of eighth grade, you know, that's hard. And so by ninth grade, it kind of got settled in. And I had a crush on a girl named Missy. And one day, Missy came up to me and, and at school and handed me an invitation to a pizza party at her church. And I was really excited that I got the invitation. The church was on the same school, uh, same road as my school. Um, I remember the sign. It was a long name. And now with my pastor hat, I remember it, it was an independent, fundamental, free will Baptist church. Some of you may have grown up in a church like that or familiar. Well, she was just doing her due diligence and as a church member, but I thought I got the invitation because she had reciprocated the feelings that I had had for her. So I asked my mom if I could go to the pizza party, and she said yes, and she took me. And I remember going into the building. It was a metal building, like a multi-purpose building, and on the inside was a gymnasium with a gymnasium floor and bleachers. And as uh, we came in, we were instructed to sit on the metal bleachers. There was no pizza in sight. And Missy sat nowhere close to me. And then somebody, I believe the youth pastor, got up and gave us some introduction. And then the lights dimmed. A movie started and you can hear the whir of the projector. It was a movie that talked about the terrible things that happen when you don't believe in God. It was designed to scare the bejeebies out of you. And it did. About halfway through the movie, there was an intermission. 
and someone came out and gave a pretty provoking invitation, and then the movie started back. I was scared so much that I did not move. I wasn't, I wasn't going to any invitation. I just wanted out of that room, right? After it was all over, they finally brought out the pizza. And it wasn't even good pizza. It was the square kind that we got the cafeteria at school. And I just wanted to get back to my mom when she came and picked me up. The God in the movie was not the same kind of God that I had been taught about when I went to the Presbyterian church. It was starkly different, and it was very uncomfortable for me. Now, I will admit that maybe there are some people who need to be scared into a relationship with God. Maybe there are some people who are so far separated from God that they need something like that. So uh, I'm not going to dismiss that God couldn't work in that way. But in, in my understanding, a whole, uh, people will have a whole lot more opportunity to come to Christ if we, if we teach them about the love of God as opposed to scaring them into a relationship with God. On the mission field, Ron and Nilin, I imagine that over your years in Indonesia that you have a lot more opportunities to see people come to the Christian faith through relationship building and through sharing the love and the grace that we've sung about as, to, as opposed to some scare tactics. So I'm thankful that we can stand here today and communicate in that way. The message that I heard that night reminded me of a sermon that I later read by Jonathan Edwards, the pastor in New England in the 1700s that brought about the first great awakening. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the, the, the God that I heard about uh, looks much less like anger and much more like the one who throws a party for the lost son or who pardons the thief on the cross at the 11th hour. So in this series this fall, we've been talking about some of these misconceptions of God that people have. And there are a lot of people who believe God is always mad, who is always angry, who is wrathful, and that's God's nature. But we're here to look at Jesus and the Jesus narrative and to see that Jesus points us to a God who is good and loving and graceful and, yes, says that he will judge, but God does not have evil in God's self. God is inherently good, inherently loving, inherently grateful. God is holy. James Bryan Smith, the author of The Good and Beautiful God, writes that some people in dealing with this understanding of a wrathful God will then move all the way to another pendulum or another position, and that is opposite, where God is a cosmic, benevolent spirit who never judges, who never punishes sin, and lets everyone go to heaven. But Smith argues that this benign God, this benign spirit, is not the biblical God either. 
quote, the cushy, fuzzy God is neither biblical nor truly loving. And he's helping us to see a picture that Jesus paints of a God who is both loving and yet exercises judgment or anger or wrath. And we'll hopefully unpack this as we seek uh, to draw truth from the Jesus narratives. Because Jesus did say a lot about the wrath of God. Here are a few verses. Uh, John 5.28 Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice. Or Matthew 12.36 and 37 But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And then Matthew 16, 27, another example. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. And then finally, John three thirty six, another example of the words of Jesus here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So many people decide to view God as one way or the other, as angry all the time, or a benign spirit who just really doesn't care. But we must not do either because Jesus doesn't do either. Jesus speaks of a God who is both kind and severe, that the wrath of God is necessary reaction of a loving and holy God. And this leads us to our key thought for today, that God is holy and pure. God is holy and pure. This is the God that Jesus reveals to us. There is no evil or darkness in God. That God is not angry by nature, but anger or God's wrath is a just act of a holy God. Do you see the difference? That God is holy and pure. That's God's character and nature. That, That is who God is. But that at times, God will exercise judgment or wrath or anger. But that is not the character and nature of God. It's something that a loving and holy and pure God does when evil raises its ugly head. J.I. Packer, who Smith quotes in his book, writes this. God's wrath in the Bible is always judicial. And it is a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. He writes, I do not want a universe in which there is no justice, no right, and no wrong. And I do not want a God who is indifferent to moral evil. So we can draw from this, a a holy God cannot not be holy. A loving God cannot not be love. So wrath is not an attribute or quality of God. Wrath is something that God does. Wrath is something that human beings experience when they reject God. And I, personally, I I want a God who hates anything that hurts me or hurts others. I think of parenting. A God who does not see hate is... A God who does not hate evil is like a set of permissive parents who let their kids do whatever they want with no boundaries. In the end, the children can end up wrecked because the parents wanted to be cool or to be their best friend, benign and permissive. But love sometimes has to step up and say, enough is enough. This is the love of a holy and pure God 
who gave up his one and only son, taking all of the guilt and pain and suffering of my sin upon himself. So again, we ask the question, dealing with the misconception that many people have, is God mad all the time? And we would say no. In my Wednesday night Bible study the other week, somebody, we were on this topic, and somebody says, but Bob, I wonder if God's not sad all the time. Hmm. When a pure and holy, loving and gracious God looks out upon the condition of humanity, the brokenness, it could be that God is often sad. I think this gets to the answer of how a holy God must feel when he hears the cries of the trafficked, the pleas of the unwanted, the hunger pangs of the hungry, the parched throats of those who have no water. This holy God compels us to join him in doing something to make things right, to live on earth as it is in heaven. This is why we do mission work. This is why, church, you give part of your church's income to missions to see that the goodness of God can be spread to people around the world where brokenness exists. The key verses for us today are verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. In all you do, in your actions, in all you do, be holy as in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And whenever you see the words, it is written, the New Testament writer is referring back to an Old Testament passage. Be holy as God is holy. That's what we are called to be and do. Peter is writing to a context of the greater Christian uh, population scattered about the Roman Empire in Asia Minor. They had faced unfathomable persecution from the Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor. And Peter was writing to encourage the church in the midst of their struggle and in their suffering. He reminds them of a holy God who loved them as children, as a father loves his children, and encouraged them to have hope in the Christ who would soon return. There was a, a sense that Christ was coming very soon. And in the midst of their persecution, Peter is giving encouragement to them. And I believe that his words still apply to us today. Until Christ returns, as we see in chapter 1, verse 1, we are citizens of heaven. We are strangers in a foreign land. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, strangers in the world. We represent a holy God who desires for people all uh, everywhere to know him and to make him known, to live lives that are different, that other people might wonder about the hope that we have and that we would have the opportunity to share a holy and pure God with them. The first century Christians received a call to action, and our call to action today is no different. After reminding the Christians of the salvation that they had received, the very first verse in 13, verse, 
verse 13, is therefore. So he does some work, and then in verse 13, the scripture says, therefore. That means there's a, a call to action. Something's coming. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, pause and ask what the therefore is there for. Therefore. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. Therefore, there's a call to action. And I see this leading up to in chapter 2, 9 through 12. There's something that God is leading the people to be. Listen to these words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God the day he visits us. Our call to actions leading us to be a, a holy people, a royal, a royal priesthood, a nation that would bring about the Messiah and that we as Christian people continue to share the holiness and the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our call to action, as we see it in, in these scriptures, is number one, be ready. And I'm going to go back and read from the 1984 version, which I think puts it in simple language that we can apply directly. Be ready. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Be ready. The believers were to gird up the loins of their minds, literally in the scripture. One commentator writes, in the east, men wore long flowing robes which hindered fast progress or strenuous action. Around the waist, they wore a belt or a girdle. And when strenuous action was necessary, they shortened the long robe, tucked it into the belt in order to give them freedom of movement. The English equivalent to this is rolling up one's sleeves and getting down to work. And this is this call to action that we are to be active in this world, sharing the light of Jesus Christ, building relationships with others, sharing with them a holy and pure God whose character and nature is holy and pure. That we are to be prepared to do that for whatever comes our way. I've heard it said, proper preparation prevents poor performance. Some of you may have heard that. And that is, we are to practice as if it were game day. Peyton Manning, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos, practices for whatever comes his way. How do you think he's able to successfully pass the ball when it's raining? He takes snaps and practices in the rain. He practices for whatever conditions might come on game day. A couple of weeks ago, I had my long run for half marathon training. One of my friends and I in my neighborhood went out and, and ran our long run in the nasty, cold, hard rain. 
And we said, we are going to be prepared if it rains on November 14th. We are training in adverse conditions, preparing for whatever comes our way on race day. And I believe this call to action for us is to be ready to practice the spiritual disciplines, to be ready when God gives us an assignment, whether it's in the schools or in our workplace or in our cul-de-sac or on the mission field, that we are ready. And then second, that we are to establish and maintain proper boundaries. I love this one. It's the second half of verse 13 in the NIV 84. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. You and I cannot live the life that we used to live. There are some friends that we can't hang around anymore because we know that they were a negative influence on us. And God's going to have to somebody, send somebody else along their way because um, we, we can't continue in, in that environment to, to be self-controlled. I like the word guardrails. Guardrails are put on the interstate system to keep us on the lane of travel and to remind us of our boundaries. So Peter, I believe, is saying that we need to have some guardrails in our lives to help us to keep focused on uh, the right direction for our lives. And third, Peter writes about hope. And, and, uh, and I would say that, that we are to embrace the hope of heaven in verse 13c. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This morning in my quiet time, I read Psalm 71, verse 14. But as for me, I will always have hope. And then Peter writes in chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's something different about you. And people may ask, you know, what is it that's different about you? What makes it different? And God will give you an opportunity to share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And then fourth, be different. Verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do not conform to the patterns of this world like Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2. Be different. And then last, last part of this call to action is do something. Just do something. Verse 15b, we've already heard it. Be holy in all you do. Do something. Do something in the name of the Lord to make a difference in this broken world. And I love the, the story of, of the song written by Matthew West entitled, Do Something. Here are a few of the words. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Thought, how'd we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I, and I said, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty and children sold into slavery. And this thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist to heaven. God, why don't you do something? And God said to Matthew West, 
I did. I created you. This song was inspired by the life of a 20-year-old college student named Andrea, who had been a student at the University of Colorado. And she went on a short-term mission trip abroad to learn about microfinancing in the country of Uganda. While there, she happened on an orphanage that was run by the government, and the children were in horrific conditions. They were being so badly neglected and abused that she felt that she had to do something. Her heart broke, and these children had no advocate. That's when this college student decided to do something, and she called her parents and she said, I'm not coming home. She said, I refuse to leave these children until something was done to improve their conditions. By sheer determination, she did not give up. Andrea and her sister convinced the Ugandan government to close down the orphanage, and which left about 40 children with no place to go. And as often God does, he says, when you ask for it, here you go. The government handed the children to her. Andrea brought this need back to some people in the United States and shared the vision to create a safe place for these children to grow and learn. Today, Musana, which means sunshine, is a thriving community development organization in Uganda, Uganda, housing over 100 children. Plans include a new hospital, economic development, and sustainable agriculture. Andrea prefers spending most of her time in Uganda when she's not doing other work. Now, she'll come back to the States to share the vision, then she goes back. She's reaching the world, bringing hope to a hurting people, one helpless child at a time. And when asked what it was that made her fight for these children, she simply said, I just kept thinking, if I don't do something, who will? Matthew Rest writes, Andrea's story floored me. Today, so many Christians talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, but never really display it in their lives. Andrea has gone to the extremes to show us all what wild abandon to the cause of Christ looks like. It's not about talking, it's about doing. It's time for us to do something. What's God calling you to do? Who's he calling you to be? And what is God calling you to do? Is God mad all the time? No. But God sure is sad about some of the things that happen in this world. And he's calling us as Christian people to take action. He says, be holy in all you do. Be holy because I am holy. And you might see things and shake your fist at heaven and say, God, why don't you do something? And God says, I already did. I created you. Let's pray together. Lord God.